couple of weeks ago, Tim preached to us from the Sermon on the Mount from the almost the end of the chapter. And I'd like to uh, look with you this morning at toward the beginning of the chapter, of, I'm sorry, the sermon, not the chapter, toward the beginning of that sermon. And so let's read together, starting at verse 13, going through verse 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will guide us, that you will speak to us, Lord. Please, Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your Holy Spirit and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) I want to talk this morning a little bit about basic things. And so as we approach this chapter, and I'm... I tend to talk about really, really fundamental things anyway, or I try to, because it's how I think. So I want to talk for a minute about salt and light, and just talk about the properties of salt. And there are things we take for granted, because we just have all the salt we want. I mean, we don't have to go out and dig in some pit to get some salt, as people used to have to do. We don't have to gather some salty water and evaporate it to get some salt. How do we get our salt? From Walmart. Yeah, we get our salt from Walmart. We can have salt in various kinds. We can have sea salt and iodized salt and non-iodized salt and I don't know. I'm just glad there's not blueberry so far. Prior to about a century ago, salt was all there was to preserve food. There weren't freezers, there weren't uh, canning uh, jars and canners, which now hardly anyone uses to preserve meat especially. They used to have to preserve meat by salting it down. And I mean liberally salting it. The salt would then preserve the meat, and then when they needed to eat it, they could take it out and it it would not be rotten, it would be kept. And so, salt is one of the most basic things in our mouth. It's one of those flavors in the sense of our taste, the basic flavors, you know, sweet, salt, uh, sour, uh, bitter. It's kind of the basic things in our mouth. 
And it's, it's so tied to who we are. I, I found something interesting as I was reading about this this week, that uh, our word for salad is from a Roman word, which was a Latin word for salt. So when you're having a salad, you're having salt. And the reason for that was that the Romans didn't think the vegetables tasted very good, and they ate them, and in order to make them more palatable, they sprinkled salt on them. So they had themselves a salt. And that's how ingrained it is in our lives, and how much we, uh, we use it, but we don't realize, realize that we're using it. Well, what about light? The same thing with light. There's so much about light that we don't understand, so much I don't understand. I was doing some reading about light because I thought, well, you know, light is interesting. I wanted to understand more about its properties. And you know that you give off light, literally. You give off light. It's just outside of the visible spectrum. And so your bodies are giving off light all the time. We can see it if we have something that will register infrared, but it's a different kind of light that you and I just can't see. It's outside of our visible spectrum. The sun gives off a lot of light. And you know that only 40% of the light that the sun gives off is in the visible spectrum. So 60% of the light of the sun is invisible to us. It's not even seen. <coughs> Excuse me. Even our incandescent light bulbs talk about, talk about inefficiency. Only 10% of the light giving off, given off by an incandescent light bulb is in the visible spectrum. That's interesting, isn't it? You thought you'd never learn that, didn't you? Well, what about a hill? A city set on a hill. What can we learn about a hill? Well, a hill is a hill. And the Greek word for basket means basket. And a lampstand is something that we use to create an artificial hill so that we can put the light up higher in our house and we can see things better with it. You understand, when Jesus was talking, he was talking about things people understood... He was teaching them about things he expected that they would have understanding of. And it's going to be important as we get later into the sermon. He was talking about things that he expected that they would have understanding of and that would be clear to them. There's something he's saying that's effectual about salt and light. There's something that they do that's real. It's, it's something that can be registered. And then he says, you are salt and you are light. Well, now that's difficult because then we have to make this jump. Okay, so what is he saying? He's not talking about the fact that uh, my infrared signature uh, is there. That's not what he means because he's not saying, you know, you're special as a follower of me because you have more infrared than other people. It may be true. I had a fever this past week. Then I was probably registering a little higher, right? But that's not what it is. You are salt and you are light. We start to realize that he's saying, there's something that I'm trying to tell you. There's an expectation I have of you. There's an obedience that I want from you that is going to register somehow and it's going to be effective somehow as salt and light are effective in the ways they are in the world. But it's going to be effective on people's lives. It's going to be real. It's going to be registered. Well, then we get nervous. 
Why do we get nervous? Because we, we know that he's expecting something from us. Or we think he might be expecting something from us. And so we start to go into our modes of, of um, what? Our modes of evasion. We take evasive action. There's something coming our way, an expectation. Here it comes. Quick, take evasive action. Let's see what we can do. And so we do. We take evasive action. One thing we do is we look at the first word. And we say, first word, one syllable. You. Oh, okay. I can take evasive action. He was talking to the disciples. Not talking to me. Did you ever read any part of the New Testament? Any of you ever read it and look at it, and as you're reading it, you're saying, I wonder if that means me too, or if he's just talking to those people there. Did you ever read that that way? Okay, Eric is the only one. You guys. Okay, okay. Of course we do. We want to take evasive action. I don't want to think that he's talking to me when he says that. So he's talking to the disciples. Well, then we read at the end of the chapter before that it says the crowds had followed him. Yes, the disciples were there, but the crowds had followed him, and that he saw the crowds. Okay, that makes it a little more difficult, but maybe they had the disciples up here with Jesus, and there was the block wall back there was the crowds, and we had the uh, Clear Note Church security team keeping the crowds back. And so they really couldn't hear. Well, no, no, okay. He was talking to the crowds too, was he? Well, yes, because at the end of the sermon, it says what? It says, when he had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Well, they just happened to hear. They just kind of overheard what he said. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at how he taught those disciples. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Oh, okay. Maybe it was just a general kind of a sermon for everyone who would hear it. Okay, that kind of puts us in dangerous territory, doesn't it? Because that that doesn't give us much evasive room by implication. If we had been there, it would have been for us too, right? And by implication, since we are his disciples and we are now the crowd that follows him, and listens to his teachings, it's for us too. Okay. Why do we want to pass this off this way? Why do we want to say it was the disciples? What's in us that wants to do that? Well, we want plausible deniability about things. We don't want to think that what he's expecting of us is really expecting of us, and we want to be able to plausibly deny that's true. I don't know how to explain this to you. I think we all understand it in some ways. But... I don't know, I'm thinking, if you're getting pulled over by a policeman, and the policeman pulls you over, and you look at them, and you just say, is there some way I can help you, officer? It's plausible deniability, isn't it? I know I was going 15, 20 miles over the speed limit, but, you know, oh, really? Oh, I thought those laws were for people who didn't know how to handle the machine. I know how to handle a car. And that's how we are with many way, in many ways when we have things expected of us. We know they're expected of us, and then 
what we want to do is not comply and then have some way that we can plausibly deny that that was the expectation in the first place. Jesus had so many other people than myself in mind when he said these things. And I'm, I'm kind of ready to believe that about the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's for somebody else. I mean, what? Give him your coat also? Come on. Pray for your enemies. Don't store up treasures. Don't worry about tomorrow. He can't be talking to me. We need to walk by faith. And we need to walk by faith that it's personal. Personal faith. It is you. It is me. We're the ones. We're the objects. We're the recipients of the message. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Well, we couldn't dodge the expectation coming at us by saying um, that he wasn't talking to us. So now we have to look at it further. We have to say, okay, uh, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, that's, that's the key to this whole section, right? What does that mean? That means that this is really talking about Evangelism, right? Isn't verse 16 about evangelism? Isn't that what this section's about? Isn't that what this sermon should be about is evangelism? We want it to be about evangelism because we want the attention to be taken off of the expectation. And you say, well, wait a minute. Evangelism, if we're going to be evangelistic, we have, there has to be you know, something that we're doing, some kind of expectation. Isn't it speaking about our actions? Yes, but there's actions and then there's actions. There's actions and then there's obedience. Remember, Saul was told by Samuel to obey is better than sacrifice. Saul had taken action but he hadn't obeyed. And so we look at this sometimes like it's, a, it's about evangelism. And we decide we're going to take action. But that doesn't mean we have to obey, and that's an evasive tactic, right? We're stepping aside. We're taking an evasive tactic. And we're going to say this is about evangelism. Well, what could I mean that it's about, ev- what could I be meaning that it's about evangelism and, and we're not going to really be obeying? Because it, of course, is somewhat about evangelism, isn't it? But what I mean is that there are ways, that there are, there are actions that we take that we take in the name of evangelism that aren't obedience, but they're actions. You guys remember um, Rainbow Man? How many of you guys remember Rainbow Man, Rainbow Wig Man from the 70s and 80s? Raise your hand if you remember Rainbow Wig Man. Okay. He's, he's uh, famous for being photographed in the end zone of football games, wearing a rainbow wig, holding a John 3.16 sign. How many of you remember the guy? Okay, we got a few more now that you're remembering him. 
Well, this man was taking action, wasn't he? He was being evangelistic, wasn't he? His name was Roland Stewart. It still is. And he was a man obsessed with being famous. He did everything in the world that he could before he started wearing John 3.16 shirts and after. He did everything in the world that he could to get noticed. This guy has done all kinds of things. The most interesting one, I think, is that he set off a stink bomb in the Crystal Cathedral. (laughs) But right now, he's serving three consecutive life sentences for kidnapping. And he kidnapped men, and they're almost certain that he did it just to become famous, just to be in the spotlight. My point isn't about him becoming famous. My point is, here's a man who's evangelizing, right? We teach our children to sing this little light of mine. How many of you know this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine, okay? And so as we teach them to sing that song, we're teaching them that they're supposed to be doing something. What's the action that they're taking as they're letting their light shine? When I was in Cincinnati, my son Ben was about, I think, two or three and when I was working at the restaurant, do you remember, Annie? Was he two or three? Two? And so he's two years old. It's been a while ago. And it was my time of being a waiter, was, which was short-lived. And I remember being back in the pickup room where the food was put out for the, the serving staff, where you'd pick up the dishes and take them out to the, to the people at the tables. And I was there, and that's where the waiters and the waitresses would come back in. They would pick up their stuff, and we would talk little bits as we in and out. Well, suddenly the woman came in. I think, I don't remember her name, but she came into the room. She's the head waitress of the place, right? She's the one that was the boss of all of us that were out waiting staff. And she was fuming. She was cursing. And she was showing us this $20 bill. And so we looked at it, and I took the $20 bill, or someone did, I can't remember, it's been a while ago. And when you opened it up, it's folded. When you opened it up, it wasn't a $20 bill at all. It was a tract left by a well-meaning Christian. And you opened it up, and it said, you probably thought you were getting something great, but I have something even better for you. Right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You understand? You get the idea. They're taking evasive action. It's all about evangelism. But it isn't about evangelism. It's about action, and it's not obedience. Listen, if you're ever going to be leaving tracks, I don't have a problem with tracks, but if you're going to leave tracks at a restaurant, take a nice track that has some good gospel to it and wrap it in a $20 bill. And be nice to the staff when they serve you. Right? Very different. (laughs) We need to walk by faith. And our faith is a a faith that has to be quantified. It's quantified to something, to a standard, to obedience. 
James 2, verses 15 to 17, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's the light of mine. Right? You've done your duty, haven't you? You've taken action. Be warmed and filled. Spoken a blessing over them. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Faith to quantify. I love this little light of mine. If we don't teach it to our kids here, we probably should. That's not my point. My point is, if you're going to teach your children this little light of mine, teach them what it means for their light to shine in front of men. Teach them what God says. Quantify that with obedience. Well, we, don't, we can't evade by saying it isn't us, and we can't evade by saying it's all about evangelism. So then what do we do? Well, we go into some kind of self-delusion, I think, and we start marketing ourselves in such a way that's a little bit, uh, that's proposing to people that we're something that we're not. Annie and I last week, we're in uh, Toledo, and we went out to dinner. We couldn't, you know, it's one of those, where do we go? I don't feel like going here. I don't feel like going there kind of conversations. Um, and so we finally see Buffalo Wild Wings. Now, we never go to Buffalo Wild Wings here because Smoking Jacks is in Bloomington. But we decided we'd try Buffalo Wild Wings. So we went in and we sat down. We like barbecue. We like wings. We're looking for the menu to guide us because, of course, we hadn't eaten there, so we didn't know what. You know. So they have this long list of all the sauces, and it starts at the top, and it goes to the bottom. And at the top is, like, very sweet, and at the bottom is very spicy hot. Or, and so what you think is, if I order the top, I'm going to get sweet. And so we ordered the top. We want sweet sauce, sweet barbecue sauce on our, our wings. Well, let me tell you something. Taking ketchup and mixing it with um, vinegar and adding a little cayenne pepper does not a sweet sauce make. Okay? Honey? Yeah. Brown sugar? Sure. Maple syrup? Yes. But that wasn't sweet sauce. And what they were doing was saying, yes, this is the top of the sweet chart. And what we were saying was, ooh, we just wasted a whole lot of money on a meal that we're having to eat but not really much liking, right? Just because they say it's so, that doesn't mean it's so. We all have this picture of ourselves, or many of us have this picture of ourselves in our teenage years, and we have this, like, view that we were so handsome I mean, we'll tell people after we're old, like I am, and we'll just look at them, oh, we're so handsome. Or we were such a basketball player. We were so good at basketball. When I was a, man, when I was a teenager, I was with basketball. You can imagine of me, right? The reality was, it wasn't that we were particularly handsome, it's just that people didn't, like, go, ah, when they saw us. And we might have at one time dribbled all the way from one end of the basketball court to the other and not bounced the ball off our foot. 
And we have this view of who we are and what we've done in that time. And we'll just keep telling people the stories of it after we're old. And this is how we think as, as we, we think about being salt and light. We think, I am so savory as a Christian in this world. I am so luminous. I'm a luminous presence around the people around me. And they can just feel it. I'm just so conscious of myself being so savory and such a luminous presence. I can just feel it. But the reality is, what? Maybe that when they had the little group of people telling the dirty joke, I just didn't laugh as hard as the other people did. Or my skirt was a half inch longer than the average skirt length in the room. And we're just conscious that we're making such a big impact on everybody. And we're deluded. (laughs) We haven't even registered. We haven't even got to the point of visible light. We're invisible. J.C. Ryle says, let us beware of supposing that the gospel has lowered the standard of personal holiness and that the Christian is not intended to be as strict and particular about his daily life as the Jew in the time of Christ. This is an immense mistake, but one that is unhappily very common. So far from this being the case, the sanctification of the New Testament saint ought to exceed that of him who has nothing but the Old Testament for his guide. The more light we have, the more we ought to love God. The more clearly we see our own complete and full forgiveness in Christ, the more heartily ought we to work for his glory. We know what it costs to redeem us far better than the Old Testament saints did. We have read what happened in Gethsemane and on Calvary, and they only saw it dimly and indistinctly as a thing yet to come. May we never forget our obligations. The Christian who is content with a low standard of personal holiness has much to learn. We need to walk by faith. Faith that objectifies, makes actual. 1 Peter 1:14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during your time, the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We haven't got to the big one yet, and this is the big one. The big one we do today to to evade hearing Christ's command and expectation of us is contextualization. And it's big because it has something different about it than the others. Contextual, contextualization, <coughs> excuse me, contextualization 
is a conspiracy. And it engages as a strategy, as a matter of principle. It's like being deluded. It's like that kind of self-marketing, but it's not done with yourself. It's done with a whole group of people. It's done as a conspiracy. It's done with the leadership of wolves. You understand? And it says, let's do something different. Let's redefine salt. Now, going back to what I was talking about, the basic properties of salt and light, imagine that today we were there with Jesus and the disciples, and imagine that anyone at that time listening to the Son of God give the Sermon on the Mount would want to interrupt with a question or clarify. I don't know. I don't know what it was like. I don't know if they asked him questions. But if this was the question, just imagine somebody asking it. Now, what do you mean by salt? What do you mean by salt? You do realize, of course, I, I see where you're going with this. I see where you're going, and you're, you do realize the implications that's going to have. You know, what happens when, when salt gets into things, it, it, it has a reaction. You know, if George came up, and George is right here in the front, and if I had a tablespoon of salt and I shoved it in George's mouth and he let it get in there for a second, we'd all see a reaction from George, right? Or if we put George in a box and it was completely dark for about an hour and then we opened it up and we hit him with our halogen beam lights, what would George do? And see, we would be there with Jesus and and we would be saying, wait a minute, do you know what salt does? Do you know what light does? I, I like your idea of using these plain things to teach us something, but let's kind of contextualize. Let's get to understand that these things cause reactions, and we need to be ready to. You couldn't possibly mean that this and this and this. We need to, we need to kind of make it more palatable. We need to make ourselves more like those, those things around us. If we kind of if we kind of make it so that we're, we're not really blinding people with the light, if we can kind of tone it down a little bit, if we can, make the, if we can kind of lower it down, maybe, maybe just, just a tiny bit above the visible spectrum, or maybe, just, maybe not quite in the visible spectrum yet, but they can feel it coming, right? Pretty soon they know it's going to come, and we'll just, at that point, when we know it's the right time, we'll just kind of, visible spectrum, Light, we got you. Don't be alarmed. That's what you mean, isn't it, Jesus? Because we really need to contextualize this. Otherwise, people are going to be offended, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, and they're not going to like us. They're not going to like us at all. To be salt, we must get in there with the world and to do what it does so that we can have a more empathetic, inviting posture. That's what we need to do to be salt. That's what it means, really, to be salt. And it's a conspiracy. How many of you know who Justin Bieber is? Yeah. I found out this week. And... I'm talking to my mother, we're in Michigan for her birthday, and she says that her, her church uh, has a, 
a children's Sunday school, they call it Wamba Land or something. I forget what. You know, it's one of these kind of Sunday school names for the churches have. Well, do we have a cute name like that yet? Okay. Uh, we have some beautiful things on the walls, though. I think that's a problem. Because our children are now going to think, they're not, they're not going to have the stark realities that we need to have them <laughs> grow up in. No, the walls are very beautiful. If you haven't seen them, go through and look at them. Lizzie uh, Bowman has been doing that job for us, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And the kids are, I walked in today, I heard, and all of them went, whoa! Um, now back. So at my mother's church, Wombaland plays or has played Justin Bieber music. Okay? Okay? Now you're shocked by that, aren't you? But you're shocked because what you're thinking is, no, 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 our children should only listen to Justin Bieber music at home. Or at school. Or in the car. Think about that. I have a nephew that attends that church, and he's my most unsophisticated nephew. I love him very much. He's a father of three daughters. They have another child on the way. He's a faithful husband. He works at a window factory when he's working, when he's not laid off, because he lives in Michigan, and the economy's really bad. He's now working again, and that's great. And he listens to our CDs. He loves this church. He even listens to the old CD, the one we don't tell people about. <laughs> the, one we, one, the one that we have the old people sing on. And the one we think, what was Jody thinking? There are still 10,000 copies available, I think. <laughs> He's memorized the CDs. He plays his harmonica with the CDs, sometimes to and from work, which is hard to figure out how he does that. <laughs> his daughters are bright-eyed, happy, obedient. His wife is happy. They smile. He doesn't have a college degree. He doesn't have Bible school training. And he won't take his children to a Sunday school where they play Justin Bieber music. So he doesn't take them. They do something else. And what is his pastor? Well, his pastor is, what is he? Is he a hick? No, no, he's a seminary graduate. The assistant pastor is also, well, he's on his way to his master's degree. I'm sure he reads all the books. I'm sure he reads Tim Keller. I'm sure he knows about all the popular things that are up and coming. My nephew is godly. He's godly. His righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. 
And don't think that when Jesus said that, the people weren't thinking about the educational levels of the scribes and Pharisees. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And they were learned men. J.C. Ryle again. Surely if words mean anything, we are meant to learn from these two figures, that is the scribes and Pharisees, that there must be something marked, distinct, and peculiar about our character if we are true Christians. It will never do to idle through life, thinking and living like others, if we mean to be owned by Christ as his people. Have we grace? Then it must be seen. Have we the Spirit? Then there must be fruit. Have we any saving religion? Then there must be a difference of habits, tastes, and turn of mind between us and those who think only of the world. It is perfectly clear that true Christianity is something more than being baptized and going to church. Salt and light evidently imply peculiarity both of heart and life, of faith and practice. We must dare to be singular and unlike the world if we mean to be saved. We need to walk by faith. And our faith needs to be savory, salty. Hebrews 11.39 But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. What is the true indicator of our living as salt and light in the world? It's action that has reaction. It's our obedience that registers with the world. When we obey, it registers. And it's action that is a matter of faith. Obedience and faith are completely, inextricably connected. In Hebrews, the context is talking about those who shrunk back. And who were they? Those were the ones who were going into Canaan and were afraid and wouldn't believe. And God cursed them. God judged them. And they died. And he said, we are not like those men. We are not to be like those men. We are to live by faith. It's the authenticating mark, the reaction of those around us, showing that we are salt and light. How they respond to us. How they respond to our lives. All of the light given by faith's actions, all of the light given by faith's actions is in the visible spectrum. It's not hidden because it is completely connected to actions, obedience, the the shining of our light. Contextualization? God is going to come and judge the world. And he's going to judge the church 
And can you imagine trying to make an excuse to God for our sorry contextualization? Saying that we had faith. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Instead of conspiring together to dismantle the law of God, what should, be the, what should the church be doing? What should we be doing together? Well, again, in Hebrews, we have an answer. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it, is, as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke to me. What's the indication that we haven't hardened our hearts? That we live by faith. That our actions are actions of faith. That they're actions of obedience. My nephew's actions were actions of obedience. Think about his life. I don't have a guaranteed job. I have four children and a wife. I work at a window factory where I assemble windows. It's like your life, isn't it? If it isn't this moment, it has been, or it will soon be. He lives by faith. We're supposed to live by faith, and it means taking action, and we need to encourage. If we're going to have a conspiracy, let's make this our conspiracy. Let's conspire together that we will encourage one another to faith, as long as it's called today. When I'm gone and departed to God, it will no longer be called today for me. <laughs> or you, in your case. But now it is today. And we need to live by faith. Today. And that means being salt and light. That means living in the visible spectrum, obedient to God by faith. That means taking real action. What is the thing you need to do today? What is the act of faith that you need to do today? What will it be tomorrow? Between now and the next time I see you, what decisions will you make? What actions will you take that you'll do as a matter of faith? Every action we take is either a matter of faith or not. You know that, right? Every single action we take. Every breath we inhale is either a matter of faith or not. I inhale this breath by faith in God who gives it, or I don't. Every action of our lives, but the ones especially that we're conscious of, 
being redeemed by Christ, and being gifted with his Holy Spirit. Making our decisions in faith so that we will be salt and light. So that it will register in the world. Everybody's going to take note. Not because we're holding up a sign and we have a rainbow wig. But because we're distinctive. We're unusual. My nephew is unusual. For so many ways. And he's... And he's not famous. He's just a normal guy. He drives an old car. And I think God loves him. So what will you live by faith with this week? What will you do by faith this week? That's the question for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit that you give to us. Thank you for your word this morning, Father, and your kindness in it. Lord, would you call us to faith? Would you call us to obedience? Would you make us to trust in you so that we'll be able to make decisions that will make us visible in the spectrum of light in this world so that the world will remark whether they give glory to you and kill us or whether they give glory to you and join us, Father. Make us to have faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.